0: So today is Palm Sunday. <clears throat> we also call it the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem for the last major time that he would be entering the, entering the town. So the triumphal entry is a celebration of redemption. That's what it's all about, redemption. The context was the yearly reenactment of the sacrament of Passover, Passover is a remembering of the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, the sacrificial lamb, the blood on the posts and lintels of their doors, and the fearsome judgment of God that brought their release and salvation as God's judgment passed over all who responded in faith and destroyed those who did not. So you remember the, um, the instructions were, God said that the death angel was coming, Through Egypt because Egypt had consistently rejected uh, the revelation of God through the plagues, through the, the miracles that He had done, consistently hardened their hearts, refused to acknowledge who God was. So the promise was the death angel would come and the firstborn of every living thing, animal as well as people, would die as an act of judgment from God. Those who believed the Lord could kill a lamb, spotless lamb, sacrificial lamb, roast it and eat it. They would take the blood from that lamb, they would put it on each side of the door and over the lintel. And when the destroying angel passed through that city, through that nation, when he saw the blood, he would pass over those who had faith and had acted upon it. Those who did not, people died. And that's what happened. That was the thing that broke the power, the hold of the pride of Egypt that had kept these people in slavery and bondage for 430 years. So, on that day, Palm Sunday, as Jesus entered the city, the ministry of Christ was coming full circle. And it's an idea that redemption comes at a price. At his baptism, the true identity of Jesus was revealed for all who had eyes to see and ears to hear. John the baptizer had this statement. He said, I saw and testified. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm surprised that the the earth didn't shake and the stars didn't fall when he made that statement. So at Jesus' baptism, comes up out of the water. Next day, John says... That's the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was to be be fulfilled three and a half years later with the triumphal entry was the beginning of that. That Palm Sunday, the Lamb of God was coming to Jerusalem. In Isaiah chapter 29, first two verses, The prophet says, Woe to you, Ariel. Ariel is a name, another name for Jerusalem. Woe to you, Ariel. Ariel, the city where David settled. Add year to year and let your cycle of festivals go on. Yet I will besiege Ariel. She will mourn and lament. She will be to me like an altar hearth. So the word Ariel, among other things, means altar hearth. So what God was saying was that Jerusalem... Was going to be the altar hearth of God, the place of sacrifice. That's what Jerusalem was, Ariel, the place of sacrifice. You remember that um, many years before that, um, it marked the place where Abraham was told by God to offer his one and only son, whom he loved, as a sacrifice to God. So, on this same place. And as they were walking up uh, Mount Moriah, that's Abraham and Isaac and the servants, Abraham acting in obedience to the command and will of God. Isaac, being a smart man, smart young man, looked at his father and he said, well, we got the, we got the wood for the sacrifice. We have the, sac- the, the fire for the sacrifice. We don't have a sacrifice. Where's the lamb? Abraham spoke prophetic words, though at the time I don't think he realized the depth or the significance of this prophecy. What he said to Isaac was, God himself will provide the lamb. And they walked on together. When they got there, as Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, his one and only son whom he loved, God substituted a ram caught by his horns um, in a nearby shrub, And God allowed that substitute of the ram for Abraham's son. Abraham, because of that, named that place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh is the Lord will provide. You remember uh, years ago used to be a song that we used to sing a lot. Jehovah-Jireh, my provider. It was a real peppy song, a real happy thing. God will provide a way for me, for me, for me. My provider uh, It's the death of his son. Uh, That's what he's talking about. God will provide. What's he providing? It's not the uh, the blessings and the joy and all that, although that's part of it. But what God is providing is he's providing a death for our salvation. That's what he's providing. And so on this very same mountain, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, God, our provider, is providing the lamb for the sacrifice. This, I think, becomes... The whole idea of a substitute who dies on behalf of others. That's the basis of the Passover, isn't it? God allowed the slain lamb in place of all of Israel's firstborn. That lamb died in place of Israel's firstborn sons. And so all the firstborn of the unbelievers died. But the wrath, the judgment, the righteous judgment of God passed over. All of those covered by the blood. Now, that's the celebration that was taking place in Israel as Jesus was coming in uh, to Jerusalem on that day. The Passover was a week away. People from all over the world were coming there. Uh, Jewish men were all required to be there, if at all possible, in Jerusalem on that day for that annual feast. And so the place was already crowded with people from all over. And Jesus was coming in to Jerusalem on that day. God providing for Israel's deliverance. Many years after the original Passover, God revealed again, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, exactly what this meant. Speaking of Jerusalem in Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, God says, On this mountain... The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth the lord has spoken in that day they will say surely this is our god we trusted in him and he saved us this is the lord we trusted in him let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation and it's on this mountain mount moriah the place where abraham was called to sacrifice his son it's on this mountain that jesus is to be crucified god has provided. So, in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was coming into Jerusalem, God's altar hearth, to be sacrificed, the price of our redemption. Hebrews nine twenty two states, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis on through, it's the sacrifices, it's through faith in the Word of God that allowed that to take place, that our sins have been covered and atoned for. All those animal sacrifices pointing to the one sacrifice of God's Son. And that's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Because Jesus entered into heaven once for all and offered his blood his life for ours so on that first day that triumphal Sunday the prophecies of Zechariah were being fulfilled in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 God wanted people to understand what was taking place and so he sent these prophets with these uh, revelations of what was going on what it meant and what the purpose was so that people would know and recognize it when it happened. Unfortunately, they're like us. When it took place, they didn't realize that they were actually living the fulfillment of those prophecies. They didn't understand that until later. So the gospel writers quote from Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and And having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus comes, and he, later on in verse 10, he says, he will proclaim peace to the nations. Verse 11, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope even now i announce that i will restore twice as much to you that's the hope that's the promise that jesus is bringing so it's interesting jesus comes in riding on the donkey as we saw portrayed here just a while ago with uh, shouts of acclamation uh the people had a high expectation because many of them were beginning to believe that maybe Jesus was the Messiah. Their understanding of Messiah was a socio-political leader, military leader even, who would come and free them from the political oppression, economic slavery to the Roman Empire, and set up um, an earthly kingdom of Israel with a, a Davidic king once again. God's plan was much greater than something as small As that his plan was to destroy the power of sin and death in our hearts and to set up an eternal kingdom in the hearts and lives of people to break down the barriers that would destroy us that would divide us that would cause us to to be so self-centered that we've missed the plan and purpose of God in our lives and so Jesus was coming he was coming as a king. Kings could come in one of two ways. They could come in on a, on a horse, um, big stallion, let everybody know, uh, this is the king. If you don't like it, you will lose your head. Um, they would come in and, and have everybody bow down because of the power and might and majesty of this mighty ruler. Or they could come riding on a donkey. It signified uh, this king is coming in peace. He's not coming to oppress. He's not coming to punish. He's not coming to judge. He's coming in peace, bringing salvation. If you remember in John chapter 6, after Jesus had fed all those people, um, they wanted to take him by force and make him a king. Jesus didn't let that happen. Wrong kind of kingdom. Um, so it would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? You have a king that can take a, a couple of loaves of bread and a few small fish and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. You don't have to work. Uh, you have to exert yourself. All you've got to do is get up and go get your food. It would be good to have a king like that. You talk about a welfare state, then that would be it to the top level, wouldn't it? Jesus said, wait a minute. That's not the kind of kingdom we're talking about. In the Garden of Gethsemane, later on, uh, shortly a, a week after this triumphal entry, the disciples were willing to fight in the Garden. They had a couple of swords. Peter tried to kill a man in defense of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Who are you ready to kill for Jesus? Jesus said, put away your sword. You've got the wrong kingdom here. It's not political that we're looking at here it's not military might we're not having to justify or prove anything to anybody he is the king of kings he is the Lord of Lords it's a different kind of kingdom than what we're looking for even today there are many who are willing to fight to die even and to kill all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus would tell us you got the wrong kingdom And you're serving the wrong king, if that's what you think. So Jesus comes as a king, but as a different kind of king, establishing a different kind of kingdom. And as Luke tells us, the kingdom of God is within you. And so if Jesus is Lord of lords, the question is, is he Lord of your heart and my heart? If he's Lord, that means that he is in control, that we serve him, not ourselves. It means that we ask what he wants us to do, not tell him what we would like him to do for us. When we come before him in our prayers and say, God, this is what I want, who's king and who's Lord in that situation? So Jesus had it right, didn't he? Lord, not my will but yours be done. That's the kind of kingdom that he's looking for. So Jesus comes in peace. Uh, He doesn't come on a mighty war horse. He comes humbly as a lamb. And as a lamb who is being led to the slaughter. And that's what he's doing. It's an interesting thing to read the 18th chapter of John in Jesus' interview with Pilate. And as you look there, you've got... um, Jesus is bound. Later on, he's already beaten up and uh, bleeding, suffering, standing there. And um, Pilate, with all the power, the authority of the Roman Empire behind him, Pilate is afraid. Jesus is at peace. Pilate doesn't know what to do. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And Pilate, I think recognized something in Jesus that he did not understand but because of his selfishness, his fear for his own political career um, he decided to sacrifice Christ for his own benefit much like Caiaphas had done with the high priest and all of that. So they were willing to sacrifice other people for personal gain that's the way most of us live, isn't it? We don't mind sacrifice as long as it's somebody else sacrificing for us. It's when we're called to sacrifice for other people that we have a problem. And yet that's what Jesus had come to do. And yet Pilate put a, a notice, tacked it onto the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he had it written in three different languages so that everybody would know and understand. He was wanting to get a message across to the people because all these people coming in, uh, many of them would walk right right past that cross to get into Jerusalem. And he wanted them to know this is what happens to people who claim to be kings uh, under the Roman Empire. But I think he was also wanting people to understand uh, this guy, there's something different about him. So the true focal point is that God has provided the lamb has come now his coming the reason for his coming into Jerusalem on that day was to spend this last week with his disciples so the focus would be in the gospels on the upper room Gethsemane Golgotha and the resurrection life everlasting God continuing to provide for his children 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, helping them understand exactly what the death of Christ actually meant for us. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So death swallowed up in victory. That's why Jesus was coming. And as he came, he came not only as king of kings and lord of lords, he comes as the lord of life, the lord of death, the one who can give life to us all. That life comes at the price of the death of Jesus Christ for us. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, giving you thanks and praise, For your love that reaches down to each one of us. Your love that is greater than our sin. Your love that is greater than our selfishness and self-centeredness. We pray, Father, that you would help us to have an understanding that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And that your coming means life and forgiveness and wholeness to each one of us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to come to you that the power of sin in our hearts could be broken and that that bondage that we've been in our whole life can be lifted up and we can be set free to love you, to serve you, to walk with you. So Lord, we just pray that as we come to you today, remembering your entry into Jerusalem on that Sunday, that we, like the crowd, would cry out, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.